Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Is Donald Trump the absolute ruler of the United States? We're going to get into that in our first hour. Uh, freedom of expression is refusing to bake a cake for a white supremacist. Any different than a gay couple? Uh, what about serving people of color at a lunch counter? We'll get into that in our second hour. In our third hour, Joe Rahm is going to be with us to talk about how to go viral. And our question is, populism been ruined by the right, and how can we take it back? So a lot going on today. Over the weekend, uh, Friday afternoon, I flew over to, uh, to London, um, burned through a, <laughs> a lot of frequent flyer miles, and um, took a train out to Exeter and visited uh, Sue Nethercutt, who is, has, I, I've worked with Sue since the 80s. She, she ran chat rooms on CompuServe, as did I, as did Nigel Peacock, and, and uh, in, in some of them we all collaborated and uh, then she went on to run our, our chat room and, and do our newsletters. Uh, Sue just had some major cancer surgery and um, sends her best regards to everybody. And we're all, you know, hoping for a, for a good and full recovery. So keep her in your thoughts and prayers. Um, it was very nice to see her. I haven't seen her in a number of years. Louise and I um, spent a week with Sue in uh, Dubrovnik uh, back in the day. And, uh, but, uh, you know, it's been a while since I've seen her, so. Anyway, it was, it was, a, it was a, a, a trip that was worth taking, although I'm a little pooped. <laughs> so, so anyhow, Donald Trump, this, uh, and, and, and I'm, I'm curious how far you think this can go. I'll, I'll, you know, this, Donald Trump seems to be asserting that, and, and Rudy Giuliani is explicitly asserting on behalf of his client, Donald Trump, that he can basically, because he is the head of the executive branch, Article 2 of the Constitution puts the president as the head of the executive branch. So all these executive agencies that are created by the first among equals, the legislature, legislature creates the Department of Justice. Well, actually, I'm not sure if the Department of Justice itself is in the Constitution. But in any case, you know, the, the legislature creates the Environmental Protection Agency. The president then decides who's in charge of it and what it's going to do, what, it, what its mandate is. And, you know, outside of courts, which the president can pack, and actually Mitch McConnell plays a larger role in that than he is packing the courts. But outside of that, basically the president says that he can, he can control the investigative agencies of government, the FBI, um, specifically in this case the FBI, and other, other uh, investigatory bodies, because he created them or because he's the boss of them. And if he doesn't like what's going on, I mean, you know, the, the example that's being used on, on cable television is, you know, if he wanted to shoot Jim Comey, literally, and then pardon himself for murder, he could do that. And, you know, Article 2, Section 2, if I'm remembering correctly, let me pull up my pocket constitution here. Uh, Article 2, Section 2, Paragraph 2 is my recollection. No, it's not. Oh, here it is. Yeah, it's, it's paragraph one. Uh, it says the president should be commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy of the United States and of the militia. The several states have been called in the actual service of the United States. He may require the opinion in writing of the principal officer in each of the executive departments upon any subject relating to the duties of their respective offices. And, and here's the, this is the, the big, this is the, the, the ringing bell, right? This is what Trump is basing his entire uh, 
you know, all his hopes and prayers on it, as they say. He shall have the power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. Now, it does not say except against himself. It only says except in cases of impeachment. So, you know, I, I am, I, I've written several books about constitutional law, but I am not a lawyer myself and don't present myself as an authority on this. But there are people who are authorities. In uh, August of 1974, there was a discussion. This was at the height of Watergate. This was during the, the Senate hearings on Watergate. And the question was asked, can Richard Nixon pardon himself and remain in office if the Senate can't impeach him? Now, at that point in time, the, the broad and general knowledge of the depth and breadth of, of Nixon's crimes was fairly well known, including by Republicans in the Senate. In fact, it was Republicans in the Senate, including Barry Goldwater, who went to the White House, sat down with Nixon and said, sir, you are going to be impeached if you do not resign. And within a day or two, Nixon resigned. But there was this very serious question that was being put forward. Does he have the power to pardon himself? And the deputy attorney general, and you can find this on the Department of Justice's website. This is August 5th, 1974, four days before Nixon resigned. The, the, uh, the memorandum of opinion for the deputy attorney general of the United States I'm forwarding to you an outline on the question whether the president can receive an executive or legislative pardon and several substitute measures. Quote, under the fundamental rule that no one may be a judge in his own case, the president cannot pardon himself. Now, he goes on to say that if the president wanted to have a functional pardon, what he could do is he could invoke the 25th Amendment himself and say, I'm not capable of serving as president right now. I'm going to put Mike Pence in charge. And then Mike Pence can pardon the president because that wouldn't be the president judging himself, right? And then the president could resign or he could resume the duties of office. He could become president again. In fact, that's, that's what the deputy attorney general, who, by the way, was a Republican in the Nixon administration, wrote. He said, if under the 25th Amendment, the president declared that he was temporarily unfit to perform the duties of office, the vice president would become acting president and as such could pardon President Nixon, the president. Thereafter, Nixon could either resign or resume the duties of his office. Although as a general matter, Congress cannot enact amnesty or pardoning legislation because to do so would interfere with the pardoning power vested expressly in the president by the Constitution. It could be argued that a congressional pardon granted to the president would not interfere with the president's pardoning power because that power does not extend to the president himself. Now, he's assuming, the deputy attorney general in 1974 is assuming that the president cannot pardon himself because of this broad legal principle that literally goes back to, to 12th century British common law that no man can sit as his own judge or presumably woman as well or, or whatever. I mean, fill in the blank, but um, the language of the day. No one may be a judge in his own case. But I don't find that in the Constitution. That, that's, a, that's a matter of established law. And Donald Trump is making the argument that because that's not in the Constitution, the Constitution does not restrict his power to pardon himself. He can simply do it. I mean, he has essentially officially declared himself above the law. That's what's going on. His, his lawyers for months have argued quietly that he could not possibly have committed obstruction because he has unfettered authority over all federal investigations. Now, there's two really important points here that I want to make before we hit this break, and, and we'll pick up some of your phone calls, too, on this. Two really important points I want to make. Number one, the impeachment in the House of Representatives and the, and the subsequent trial in the Senate are not legal proceedings in the strictest sense of the law. They don't come out of, the, out, of, out of the Code of Federal Regulations, the CFR. They come out of the Constitution. And they are arguably, essentially, a, a political process. As such, what Trump and Giuliani and Sean Hannity and all the, the guys on right-wing hate radio and uh, you know, 
that bunch, right, the, the, the Trump crowd, what they're arguing right now is that Trump has the absolute authority to stop the investigation because the DOJ is an executive branch agency, that Trump has the power to pardon anybody, including himself, and he's demonstrating that by pardoning Scooter Libby and, and you know, all these other folks. He's a whole bunch of pardons recently, Joe Arpaio, et cetera. And the, and, and the reason that they're making this argument, and, and, and actually there's a much larger argument that they're making, you know, the Hannity's of the world and, you know, the, the right-wingers of the world, and that is that there's a deep state conspiracy. Trump is tweeting about the eight Democrats in the FBI who are investigating him or in Mueller's organization. That there is this deep state Democratic conspiracy to destroy his presidency. Now, you'll recall, I said this is a political process. It takes two-thirds of the Senate to remove him from office. If he can keep his base, which is heavily reached and indoctrinated by Fox so-called news and right-wing hate radio, if he can keep his base intact and they can put enough pressure on that one-third of the Senate, which would be about two-thirds of the Senate Republicans, so that they hold firm and they will not remove him from office, then it's the Bill Clinton scenario or the Andrew Johnson scenario. He gets impeached in the House goes to the Senate, there's a trial, he's found not guilty. End of discussion. That's number one, number one. They're doing this as a political strategy. Number two, and I think this is really important and it's not being pointed out in the media anywhere near frequently enough, is that the core of the argument that Trump and his lawyers are making right now is that, yes, of course he's guilty. If he wasn't guilty, we wouldn't be talking about impeachment and pardons. And the people around him are guilty. Nobody's arguing that he's innocent. Right? An innocent person would say, hey, investigate me, please. I'll come and testify. Let's get this done with. And that's what Trump started out because he's such a good bluffer. Right? I mean, in his mind, the art of the deal is all about bluffing in line. And, you know, that may work in real estate. But, it, you know, it's not working now. He started out with this bluff. Oh, sure, I'd love to meet with Mueller. Now, no way. In fact, I can fire the guy. He's claiming he's guilty. Does his base get it? This is the Tom Hartman program. Is it that his base thinks that what he's guilty of are merely political act activities that the Democrats are all upset about? See, this is the argument that the right is making. And welcome back. Anna Maria in, uh, help us if I click the button there, Anna Maria in Maywood, New Jersey. Hey, Anna Maria, thank you for watching the program. Hi. What's on your mind? Uh, hi, Tom. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I really appreciate your your show and, and all you all that you do. Thank you. I just you. want to say that Trump is going to get away with all of this. There's no doubt in my mind. He's going to destroy this, this country. And the, see, the thing is, for me, the population is too dumb to understand. They're, they're just, and they'll just go along with him. Do you, wow. When you say the population, I, I when you yeah, say the population, I, who do you mean? I'm... Yeah, uh, I hate to say the average American because people don't care. They don't have a, a, a critical mind these days. They, they're not, they don't think critically. So well, they'll just go along with it. Yeah, this was the, essentially the message of, uh, uh, of the Germans that Milton Mayer spoke with in, in, and, uh, you know, interviewed and reported on in his book, They Thought They Were Free, that, that, you know, there were thousands of little actions, each one a little more outrageous than the last, but none of them so big that anybody would scream. And then one day the corn is over your head. One day you, you, you just don't even realize it, but there it is. It's over your head. You can't see anymore right. at all. And, and that's exactly where we're at. Yeah, it's the, uh, it's the old frog, you know, in the, in the boiling pot uh, metaphor. Um, right, right. What, what, Anna Maria, what in your mind could short circuit that? I mean, it, it, clearly it got short circuited in the Nixon case. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's just it. You know, I, I'm, I try to think of of a way. How, could, how can we stop this man? But it, nothing seems to work unless, I guess, uh, we vote Democratic in November. Well, or unless, unless the Republicans, like they did in 1974, look at the evidence and say, holy cow, this guy really is a crook. I don't think that's going to happen. Well, I don't think it's going to happen either, frankly, because the Republicans themselves have become crooks. They were, they were not in the pocket of the, of the, of the, corporate, of the, of the petrobillionaires in 1974. Uh, that was, you know, they, they, were, they were a political party, but they were not wholly owned subsidiary of, no, of, of the no. Koch brothers network. And now the Republican Party, by and large, is. And anybody in the Republican Party who chooses to defy that network or defy its, its guy, Donald Trump, uh, 
uh, finds mm -hmm. themselves like Jeff Flake and Bob Corker being kicked out of the Senate or kicked out of the right. House or, or, you know, right. banned from the media or their columns don't get picked up or whatever. I mean, basically, right. he is solidifying his power and his base. Right. And I don't think there's enough will uh, by, by the people to overcome it. I, you know, it's really sad. And as every day progresses, I see what's going on it. And it scares me so much. Yeah. It really, really Well, and this is the reason I think that he's he's going to make it through this is largely not the stuff that you're talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a Republican Party that is that is wholly, a corporate wholly owned Republican Party. They proved it with this $5 trillion tax giveaway. And, mm -hmm. and if, if that, if the Republicans in the Senate can hold, then, you know, he skates. And I think that they're going to hold because they want to hold on to money and power, frankly, not because right. of anything that has to do with Donald Trump. But I also have some thoughts on, on how, you know, on, the, on how this might play out. I'll talk about those right after the break. Anna Maria, thank you for the call. It's nice to hear from you. And thanks for watching us on YouTube. We'll be back. It's 20, coming up on 23 minutes past the hour. Okay, welcome back. Tom Harvard here with you. Uh, I wanted to share another story with you. Just put another, another piece into this equation, and then, and then, then we'll pick up your calls on, these, on this topic. In, in the 1940s, or in the 1930s, uh, two cults of personality and hate rose to power in Germany and Japan. Uh, the basis of both these cults was basically uh, racial hatred, um, the belief in racial superiority. The Japanese openly, explicitly believed that they were the, the, uh, the pinnacle of evolution, the highest race. The Germans believed the same thing about themselves. Uh, they trashed people who were not members of their race. They used this as an excuse for everything from the rape of Nanking to the, to the ovens. And the average German and the average Japanese uh, was just trying, to, just trying to have a life, right? There, you know, now, in both cases, large parts of the population, enough that Tojo and, and, uh, and Hirohito on, on the Japanese side and, and Hitler and his buddies on the German side, along with uh, Mussolini in Italy and Franco in, in Spain, were able to not just rise to power, but consolidate their power and consolidate it around these death cults. And I call them death cults very intentionally. They literally were killing people. And in Japan, you had the, the kamikaze pilots who were just like so pleased and excited to, to uh, just, you know, totally fly right into the deck of an aircraft carrier and commit suicide, believing that they would then immediately go to paradise and be with the emperor who is descended from God himself or herself or itself or whatever, the sun. Descended from the first emperor was the first human put on earth by the sun. And, and uh, you know, German soldiers didn't quite have that, but you had Bishop Mueller, who, Mueller, who or however you say it, who uh, had been elevated to the title of Reichsbishop, the head religious authority in Germany by Hitler. And Mueller, I thought he was one of the more interesting suicides right after World War II. Um, Mueller had been preaching that, you know, the ultimate expression of modern Christianity in Germany was Adolf Hitler. He supported the Christians. Not so much the Jews or the Muslims or whatever, but he supported the Christians. Good on him. So basically what had happened was cults had seized both these countries. So then the question becomes, how do you break a cult? when it takes control of a country. Because I would argue that what the Koch brothers started by funding the original Tea Party, and not just the Koch brothers, this whole network of theirs, um, but what they started by funding the original Tea Party, which has morphed itself into this whole you know, Breitbart thing with the help of billionaire Mercer and, and, and uh, you know, right-wing hate radio with the help of billionaire business people, uh, right-wing hate television, the help of Rupert Murdoch. What they have morphed themselves into is a cult. And it wasn't until the Germans and Japanese were defeated in war and saw with their own eyes the horrors that they had committed, that the Japanese were confronted with the rape of Nanking and the, China, and the Japanese war crimes. And the Germans were confronted with the, with the ovens, with the, the horrors of Auschwitz and, 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 and on and on. It wasn't until that happened, until they got unfiltered news, that the cult was shattered. So the question, what's it going to take to shatter 
this Republican cult. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. I am arguing that Trump is a symptom of a death cult that has seized control of the Republican Party on behalf of giant economic interests. Welcome back. It's the Tom Hartman Program, defending America from the weapons of mass deception. So we've got a bunch of stuff here on the table. Number one, is there, in fact, a death cult that has taken over the Republican Party? A group of people who want to burn crosses, kill people, keep people out of the country, hate people based on their ethnicity, their, their gender orientation their, uh, or identification, their um, uh, the color of their skin. I mean, these kind of things. Is there a death cult that has emerged in the United States that uses things like the flag and the national anthem as its totems, much like the Nazis did with their flag and their national anthem? or the Japanese did. And if so, is, does that cult have deep enough and broad enough roots, as it did in Germany and Japan ultimately, that it can't be stopped from within? I mean, there were a lot of efforts in Japan and in Germany to, to ramp things down. And the leaders of those countries in the 1930s basically killed the, leader, killed the opposition or imprisoned them for so long that you know, they were functionally dead. Now, this is not unique, by the way, to, to, to these two countries. This is happening as we speak in Turkey under Erdogan. It's happening as we speak in a, you know, a whole bunch of countries where you've got autocratic leaders who are using the power of the state to punish their own political enemies, whether it's Poland or Russia or Hungary or Turkey or the Philippines. You see this happening in all of these countries, and increasingly we're seeing it happen here in the United States. Look at the people who are facing 10-year felonies for protesting the inauguration of Donald Trump in Washington, D.C. So if, it has, if that cult has seized the country, as opposed to simply a minority of the country, how do we shake out of it? I mean, there's no country out there that's going to come and save us, and the most powerful country second to us right now, looks to be China. And China is creating a surveillance state, a police state, you know, surveilling their own people. I will tell you more about that a little later on, but, uh, you know, it's, it's like, where is the champion for democracy? I mean, you know, Macron from France comes over and, you know, gives Trump a hug and a kiss and, and, and you know, hangs, holds, his, holds his hand. Not quite the same thing. Anyhow, your thoughts. Tyrone in New York City. Hey, Tyrone, what's up? Uh, how you doing, Tom? I'm well. Thanks, for, thanks for taking my call. And yes, I do believe there's a death cult in this country. Um, people knew when um, they voted for Donald Trump that the man had no moral or no ethical boundaries. And he well, definitely had no respect for the rule of law. Well, I think this is why he lost the election by three million votes. Absolutely. So we have the people. We have the numbers that believe that, global, that the global warming situation is a situation. And that we um, and that the justice system is not working for most of the people, and that the, the, the things that is that is blatantly obvious to us is something that we have to deal with. We have the people. It's just that scenario like when you're in the classroom and there's one or two people that wreak havoc throughout the whole classroom. We allow that to happen here in this country, where there's a few a few million people that 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 see that we'd be better off without a government. Yeah. And we understand, most of us understand that without a government, you don't have a country. Well, well and, and, and let's not mistake ourselves. I, you know, my, my, my book report today, we do a, a different book every day. And the, the one today was by uh, Bill Schneider. He's, it's called Standoff is the title of the book. And Bill Schneider is a longtime, I think, CBS uh, uh, reporter. And uh, in the opening of the book, in the first chapter of the book, uh, he talks about how um, you know, the Tea Party was a response to the election of the first black president. And, you know, there's some truth to that, but what he completely ignores, as does every other reporter in the, in the corporate press, is that those $600,000 buses painted in Tea Party colors were not put together by a bunch of, you know, right-wing white yahoos from West Virginia or, okay. or from Michigan. They were paid for by petro-billionaires from Kansas and New York. Uh, they, you know, they were paid for. I mean, the, the, the Tea Party didn't happen spontaneously. It, it, it grew 
But it was started by a group of billionaires who are yeah. only interested. They didn't give a damn about, you know, the color of people's skin. I mean, maybe they hold some racial prejudices and things. But what they really care about is their profits. They wanted Absolutely. deregulation, so their oil business and their and their and their cracking business, their 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 uh, the refining business was more profitable. And they wanted tax cuts so that they could keep more of the money that their company was earning. Tyrone, to you. They want to use up the, the public as um, pawns yeah. to be able to to to, to maintain their power. And if it means destroying this government to do it, so be it, because they have enough money to pay for their own protection. Right, and that's why own. that's why yeah. they want to destroy the government. That's why they are at least minimize, weaken the government, because the government is the only thing that holds them back from completely ripping all of us off and destroying the planet in exchange for more profit. Now yeah. they passed that law about the about the baker not baking a cake for a gay couple. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm, that's going to be my second yeah. hour of the show. So okay. I, I don't want to get All into right. that right now, but All we're right. going to talk about Thank that you. in the second hour. Tyrone, thanks, thanks a lot for the call. call. Good to hear from you. And thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Rich in Greenwood, Indiana. Hey, Rich. What's up? Hey, Tom. Thanks. Um, look up the word auxiliary and look to its, uh, its deep, deep meanings. It's a non citizen. And you, uh, you get uh, the Latin of uh, uh, creating a, uh, a class of people who are clamoring to be next to power. You suck them into the con and you get these, these death cults out of it with, with this management of information and this promise of uh, protection and inclusion. Um, I, I wanted to give you a heads up on something at Democracy Now! today. This uh, weekend story was Senator Jeff Merkley uh, of Oregon uh, being denied entrance to a detention center in Brownsville, Texas. I believe it was uh, in the Florida where, Keys, wasn't it? Um, I, I have listened well, to... In, in any case, we've, we've already contacted Merkley's office, and he's going to be on the program tomorrow, so we'll talk about that at some length tomorrow. But you're right. He, he, they, well, it was a Walmart... Here's my point, sir. Yeah, go Let ahead. Let me offer this. Walmart is this weird element in the story. Uh, this detention center was a repurposed Walmart. And this model of a use of a big box store, turning it into a detention center, is something to wonder about. Yeah. And for lack of imagination, will be caught flat-footed. There is a growing um, roster of bricks-and-mortar stores coast-to-coast coast as people don't go to the mall anymore uh, and use online shopping. Uh, whatever the reason is, we're getting more and more empty big box bricks and mortar, and if they can turn these, <laughs> there is this model that is sitting right there in front of our noses mm. as a detention center, a repurposed Walmart, and... The, are you saying these are Alex Jones's here? FEMA camps? Right on. <laughs> Amazing. Bizarro. I mean, yeah. I, I just got to watch the... Uh, the newest version of the, um, the Blade Runner movie and the depiction of the dystopic future and the built environment repurposed, mm -hmm. I think, was what had me... Uh, is there, is there a brand new version, like, Rich, oh or, or is this one of, the, uh, one of the remakes like in the 90s or something? No, no, no. This is one from just last year. Just last year? Oh, I haven't seen it. I'll have just, to... Uh, yeah, Blade Runner, and I, it's, Ridley Scott has done a job with this that is, yeah. that is on par with, like, Lawrence of Arabia. So, you know, on as big a yeah. screen as you can. Yeah, okay. Where, where do I find it? Um, it's it's in rotation at HBO. Okay, and, great. Uh, also, uh, Kill the Messenger is back in rotation there too. Yeah. So be sure and yeah, I've got that, that on my list. Very uh, good, dude, Rich. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thank thank you for the call. Yeah, good talking with you, uh, Janet in Norton Grove, Illinois. Hey, Janet, says here you want to disagree with me? Well, it's more about last week when you were saying that you thought Trump would become more popular if he. Um, if he got impeached or if they tried to impeach him. Well, that's what history you, shows. You compared it to uh, uh, Bill Clinton. Yes. But, you know, Bill Clinton was impeached for something so ridiculous, uh, for having sex, which every, all the presidents, whatever. Right. And Trump would be impeached for horrific crimes that he's doing. And so, and the other thing is, you know, with all the negativity, and there's plenty of it that's deserved, people are waking up. And I do think the Internet, um, you know, is bringing people together as much as it does disinformation. But, 
you know, people are getting what's going on. So I think so, too, Janet. And my one caveat to if Trump is impeached, he'll become more popular uh, because they will almost certainly will not succeed in the Senate unless and, and this is the giant unless if if Robert Mueller can come up with something more than having sex with a 23 year old intern. Then, right. you know, then uh, something radically more than that, something more than the crimes that Trump has already committed that we know about, you know, the emoluments violations and things like that, for example. If, if Robert Mueller can come up with serious crimes that will cause the average American, you know, the, the Joe Sixpack out there, right. um, particularly the average white working class American to say, oh, really? You know, uh, you know, I, I, I won't put up with that. That's that's wrong. If, I if, say to if, people, can if, you spell treason? You yeah. know, I mean, what he has done is treasonous. Well, and we will find out. I mean, we don't know that yet, Janet, but we will find out. And I am very much looking forward to Mueller's report. And it's either going to drop the anvil on this presidency and, and, and shatter it, or it's just going to be more political grist for the mill and Fox News will come to his, his defense and everything, you know, and the billionaires like Rupert Murdoch who support him will come to his defense. We'll see. We'll see. Hey, I've got to tell you about the world's best chair. Most of us spend over 2,000 hours a year sitting in our office chairs and if you have back problems or trouble concentrating throughout the day, there's a simple reason. You're sitting in the wrong chair. Take your chair, your style, and your productivity to the next level with an X chair. The X chair's unique anthropomorphic design and dynamic variable lumbar support cradle your body in a way you need to feel to believe. And a more comfortable posture means better concentration and much higher productivity. In fact, if you're a business owner, there's no better way to reward your top performers than giving them an X chair. And the X chair's sleek, modern style will upgrade the entire look of your office. Give yourself and your staff the gift that pays dividends five days a week, year-round. Feel and see the X chair difference by going to xchairtom.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, Tom, T-H-O-M, Dot com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR. If you're not truly thrilled by the look and feel after 30 days, refer, return it for a full refund. Order today and save 100 bucks and get free shipping. If you go to xchairtom.com right now and enter the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get a free footrest. That's xchairtom.com or call 1-844-X-CHAIR. We have one here. We love it. xchairtom.com. Janet, thank you for the call. Spot on. Welcome back. Mark in Chicago. Hey, Mark. Thanks for listening to WCPT. What's up? Hey, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Um, just thinking about your question of how we can end the Trump slash Republican uh, death cult. And I think if we cut them off from the one, their one true love, the drug that they live for, which is money. And if we can uh, dismantle Citizens United get rid of the super PACs, um, uh, strengthen the Federal Election Commission, I think that would go a long way towards, you know, having a Congress that actually does what we care about, like clean air and water and public education and health care, rather than just sucking up to their billionaire class donors. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Mark. And, and uh, you have to go way back before Citizens United, though. Um, in 1886, in a case called Santa Clara County versus Southern Pacific Railroad, the Supreme Court ruled that corporations are not persons and may not speak as persons, do not have rights as persons. The clerk of the court, a fellow by the name of John Chandler Bancroft Davis, very wealthy Massachusetts uh, Brahmin, his father was the governor of Massachusetts prior to that, very, very rich man. Uh, the clerk of the court, in the head note, which has no legal authority, wrote that the court, that, that outside of the hearing itself, outside of the ruling, that uh, Morrison Remick, um, uh, Morrison Remick, no, Remy, anyhow, his last name was Waite. I think it's Morrison Remick Waite, W-A-I-T-E. He was the chief justice of the Supreme Court. And John Chandler Bancroft Davis wrote in the head note to that case, Santa Clara County versus Southern Pacific Railroad, that the chief justice had said, there is no disputing that corporations are persons we all agree on. And in fact, that it was an, it was an out of context quote. It had nothing to do with the case. And he wasn't talking about corporate personhood under the 14th Amendment. But that head note, even though it had no legal authority, has been cited over 40 times by the Supreme Court, including in Citizens United. And so, number one, you've got the 1886 case in which the court decided that cor corporations are not persons. But ever since 1886, the court and the legislature have dealt with corporations as if they were persons because they based everything on the head note and on, not on the decision, number one. And then number two, in 1976, in 1970. Two, Richard Nixon put Lewis Powell on the Supreme Court. 
A year earlier, Lewis Powell had authored the famous Powell Memo, although nobody knew this until 73 when Jack Anderson exposed it, uh, you know, in an article he wrote for the United Press and, uh, and that ended up in the Washington Post. And in his memo, uh, what Lewis Powell had said to Eugene Sindor, his uh, neighbor and friend and, and the head of the Chamber of Commerce, was that rich people and corporations in America have to stop being politically neutral and have to become politically engaged with specifically the Republican Party, with the right. And that they have mm -hmm. to take over the schools, including, particularly the colleges. Uh, they have to take over the courts. And this led to the establishment of the Federalist Society to create right-wing judges and right-wing lawyers. They have to take over the media. They have to help consolidate the media. They have to, to start uh, owning individual congressmen. They have to work for legislation to do this, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? He, the Powell Memo, he laid the whole thing out. And then four years later, in 1976, the Supreme Court, in a case called Buckley versus Vallejo, uh, written in part, the decision written in part by Lewis Powell himself, who Nixon had put on the court, uh, Lewis Powell wrote that corporations and billionaires who give money to politicians or who fund political campaigns, even if the campaign, let's say the corporation is a coal company and they want to fund a campaign to convince people that it's just a fine thing if the coal companies dump their waste in rivers, uh, which is, by the way, the first piece of legislation that Trump signed, allowing for that to happen. But if they do that, that is not that is not a political campaign contribution. That is not that cannot be covered by the 1974 and 1975 good good government laws that came out of the Frank Church Committee's investigations. Uh, instead, he struck down all those laws and they said this is First Amendment constitutionally protected free speech. And so, mm -hmm. the two cases that you have to deconstruct are 1886 Santa Clara, 1976 Buckley. And if those, and, and the only way to do it, to the best of my knowledge, I mean, Congress could do this, but they're not going to because they're in the pocket of all these guys. The only way to do this is to amend the Constitution to say, number one, corporations are not people. That neutralizes the 1886 case. And number two, that money is not speech. And that neutralizes Buckley. And it also neutralizes everything that followed Buckley, including Citizens United and McCutcheon and, and you know, et cetera. There have been several of them. First National Bank versus Bilotti in, in 78 was another one. That was, you know, in 76, it dealt with persons. Uh, in, in, the, uh, in the Buckley case, in the Bellotti case, it dealt with a bank, with a corporation. Both cases, the Supreme Court ruled with Lewis Powell pushing for it, the corporations, in or the, excuse me, that money given to, uh, uh, whether it's by an individual, a billionaire, or by a corporation, money given for poli political purposes is considered free speech. And until that happens, and that's why the work that Move to Amend is doing is so critical. And I'm going to be keynoting their conference, by the way, on Saturday in Washington, D.C., this weekend. And, and uh, I will be there. And so if you want to learn about this whole story, um, I'm pretty sure it's going to be carried on Free Speech TV and some other venues. And, uh, but also, you know, if you're in the D.C. area, I, I see you're in Chicago, but, you know, you can, you can catch it. But it's going to be real interesting. Uh, Saturday, Saturday night, I'll be in, in D.C. At the, at the Move to Amend conference. And the website is movetoamend.org. And, and I'm, I'm not being compensated for this or anything. This is how much I believe in what they're doing. I'm, I'm flying out there to do this gig for them and um, on my own nickel. I think it's, uh, 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 this, is the, this is the big issue of our time, Mark, and I think you've identified it, and that is that without money, these guys don't have power, and without that power, they can't continue the, the kind of behavior that they're doing, whether it's Scott Pruitt taking apart the EPA, or Ryan Zinke taking apart the Interior Department and selling off our public lands to, to billionaire and, and, and foreign you know, mining interests and things. You know, we've got to get the money out of politics. Mark, thanks, thanks for the very spot-on call. I appreciate it. We're going to talk in the next hour about the Supreme Court decision with the wedding cake and where does that all go. And, of course, we'll continue our discussion of the Republican death cult in the United States. Stick around. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. Okay, the Supreme Court this morning ruled in the, uh, in the case of a Colorado bakery that the, that the baker who did not want to create a wedding cake for a gay couple's marriage, or actually for the, the post-marriage celebration, they had been married for, for a while, that he was not given a proper hearing by the authorities of the state of Colorado. They did, you know, so let's just, you know, understand this with some dispassion. This was a seven to two decision. I believe uh, Sotomayor and uh, Ruth Gader Bader Ginsburg were the two dissenters, um, as, as I recall. Nate, Nate says, yes, must be. So, uh, but 
And, and I would love to read their dissent. I've not had the opportunity to do that yet. I'm not sure it's even been published yet. But the, but the essence of the case was not that this Baker, ha, as is being portrayed in right-wing media and even in some of the corporate media, the essence of the case, the decision was not that he has the right to say, no, I'm not going to create this artistic work under the First Amendment, under the Freedom of Expression Clause of the First Amendment. Now, some people are arguing this. This is not what the Supreme Court decided this morning. What they are arguing is that, is that um, we all have the right, artists in particular have the right to refuse commissions. Now, again, this was, not the, this was not what the Supreme Court decided, to the best of my understanding of this case. But, it's, but it, it will be something that the Supreme Court will decide at some point in the near future, probably. There, there are several other cases working their way up the docket that <clears throat> are going to be more narrowly decided than this. More, more, excuse me, more broadly decided than this. So there are two, two possible arguments that this Baker could make. Number one, and, and, and he made this argument. He said, you know, this gay couple, they're welcome to buy any cake in my store. I would be glad to sell them a cake. I am not going to use my artistic ability, which I learned from my mentor on how to decorate a cake, to decorate a cake that says happy gay marriage or, you know, good luck, Ken and Paul or David and I forget the other guy's name. He said, that is art, artistic expression. And as an artist, I can choose how I want to express myself. Now, that's actually a fairly strong argument. Again, it's not the argument that the court decided on. But that's a fairly strong argument. I mean, if you were, if you were a cake baker and Richard Spencer came to you and said, I would like you to make a cake for me with a Nazi swastika you know, on it that says, you know, Heil Richard, may the Nazis live forever. As an artist, or if he wanted you to, uh, to do a painting like that or whatever, do you have the right to say no? I think the answer is fairly clearly that you do have the right to say no. So had this case been decided on those grounds, I am guessing that's the way it would have gone. Although I'm not sure. The other argument, the other First Amendment argument, is the religious argument, which this baker also tried to make. He made both these arguments. The court didn't decide it on either one, as far as I can tell. Again, this was just a couple hours ago. And I have not yet read the decision or the dissents, but I fully intend to. And I, you know, we can dig into this a little more tomorrow. And that's why I'm putting this somewhat in a hypothetical context. The religious argument is, you know, I am, I am exercising my religious preference. And uh, therefore, the state cannot force me to do something because the state under both the the First Amendment and under the separation clause, the separation of powers clause, the, the, uh, the, there's a, another word for it. I'm sorry, I'm not on the tip of my tongue, but the, the, uh, the other part of the Constitution that says that you know, the, there shall be no state religion established. That under those two parts of the Constitution, the state may not impose on me a religion. And similarly, the state may not take from me my religion unless they can demonstrate in a court of law that it's not actually a religion, that it's actually a cult of some kind, that it's, that it's a, uh, you know, and this, this is done not commonly, but occasionally uh, with uh, David Koresh type cult leaders where, or, or Charles Manson type cult leaders, where they claim that they're exercising religion. In fact, more often than not, they claim that they're exercising Jesus's religion. When in fact, you know, they're running a scam, they're running a con. So, you know, the government has a limited power to say, no, you're not a religion. And most of that power is focused in the area of whether or not they're going to grant you tax exempt status. But there can also be, you know, legal penalties. So here he is saying, my religion says that only men can marry women and vice versa, that men can't marry men. And therefore, my religion prevents me from designing this cake using my artistic free expression. And what the Supreme Court ruled, as I understand it, is that 
those two arguments were not adequately and appropriately addressed and responded to by the authorities of the state of, Oregon, of Colorado. And therefore, we find on behalf of the baker because he got basically screwed by the courts in Colorado. Not that the courts were right or wrong. Which, and this is why it was a, five, a seven to two decision. Was, you know, even, even the majority of the liberals on the court, well, half the liberals on the court, said uh, no. So, but, but this raises an interesting question. I mean, Andrew Sullivan, for example, who is both gay and a Republican, says, uh, it writes today in uh, New York Magazine, and this was before the decision came down. He was in anticipation of this writing. He said, it always worries me when gays advocate taking freedom away from other people. It worries me as a matter of principle. It also unsettles me because some gay activists do not seem to realize that the position they're taking is a particularly dangerous one for a tiny and historically despised minority. The blithe concern, unconcern for the First Amendment in the war on hate speech, for example, ignores the fact that for centuries the First Amendment was the only defense the gay minority ever had. And now, with their first taste of power, we're restricting the rights of others in this respect? Ugh. Endorse the state's right to coerce speech or conscience, and you have ceded a principle that can so easily come back to haunt you. So, you know, and, this, and here's another one. This is from the National Legal Director of the ACLU. This is David Cole uh, from NewYorkBooks.com. What if a wedding photographer who has to be present at a ceremony in order to provide her services objects to same-sex marriage? Should bakeries or photographers be permitted to refuse their services to an interracial couple or an interfaith couple? Could a bakery refuse to make a birthday cake for a black family because its owner objects to celebrating black lives? Now we're getting into some, some really interesting territory here. You know, what is, what is the beginning and end of free expression? What is the beginning and end of... You know, where do they start and where do they go? Uh, things like, you know, how, how, how is the wrong word? How, well, yeah, how much power should the state appropriately take onto itself to, on the, on the one hand, prevent hate speech, which, you know, we're not, we're not arguably doing at all. I mean, look at the tiki torches in, in Charlottesville, West Virginia. And on the other hand, you know, protecting minorities, protecting, protecting groups who are not popular. It's a, it's a really interesting question. So anyhow, we'll get to that too. Stick around. It's the Tom Hartman program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week, right here, live from Portland, Oregon. Uh, we'll be back. It's coming up on 16 minutes past the hour. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Defending America from the weapons of mass deception. Tom Hartman with you. We'll be back with your calls after this. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back to the third hour of our program. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us is uh, our old friend, Dr. Joe Rahm, uh, who uh, most often you, you read over on the climate uh, end, uh, among other things, of the thinkprogress.org blog. Uh, he is a physicist, a climate expert, a senior fellow with the American Progress, uh, with, uh, excuse me, uh, Center for American Progress, a uh, founding editor, climateprogress.org. And uh, most interesting, and his last book was Climate Change, What Everyone Needs to Know, uh, but his uh, new book is fascinating, How to Go Viral and Reach Millions. Uh, the website, climateprogress.org. You can tweet him at Climate Progress. Joe, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tom. It's always nice talking with you, Joe. I always learn from you. I, I, uh, th this, this book is fascinating, and I know that your uh, pitch on it essentially was, uh, here's information that progressives can use to get their side, our side of the story out in a, in a viral way. Uh, uh, if, if I'm correctly characterizing it, well, actually, how would you characterize the book? Well, I think that's right. You know, I, I titled it How to Go Viral and Reach Millions, um, and it just came out today on, on Amazon, uh, paperback and Kindle. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was, I talked to so many progressives who are frustrated that, you know, with what Trump is doing, and the way he seems to dominate the conversation. And I 
uh, have been, you know, uh, blogging and, and, and working online with social media for, for over 10 years and have learned a whole lot of secrets and tricks for getting messages to go viral. And then, you know, I also noticed that, that you know, Trump himself uses some uh, tricks to, to get his message to go viral. And so I started researching this book and, uh, you know, was able to boil it down to, to just a handful of, of rules that, you know, literally any progressive, any, any progressive candidate can use. If you want to uh, write a story that goes viral, give a speech, uh, put together a video that goes viral, or just tweet or a Facebook post, these are the, the, um, the things that, that any progressive can do to go viral. That's great. I, uh, you know, I don't want to give away the book because, you know, as a fellow author, I'm all in favor of people buying books. Uh, however, uh, and one of the things I've learned, you know, of publishing books is that if you give away enough of the book, if you explain enough of the book, people go, whoa, that's really great. I got to get the book and get the rest of it. So uh, in, the, in that spirit, Joe, <laughs> could you give us a couple of the basic principles and how to apply them to go viral? Well, I think, you know, number one, is always uh, the, the messages that go viral, have gone viral throughout human history the most, are stories, um, and stories told in a certain way. And I, I talk about how you have to tell a story, and one of the secrets that I give away is the secret of, of the best uh, Hollywood screenwriters uh, for uh, making a, a story that draws people in quickly. Um, and uh, that's what they use for their blockbusters. And I, I show, actually, that this secret is, you know, the same thing that Oprah used in, in her first, in the first viral speech of 2018, which was her speech at the Golden Globes. Um, but it's also the, the secret Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. Shakespeare uses it. Lincoln uses it. The Gettysburg Address. So, uh, and it's pretty simple. In fact, it's so simple that uh, you'll have to read the book to, to, to be persuaded that it actually works. But basically, you just go, th- you write out your, your story or your speech or what you want to say or write and circle all the ands and replace those ands with, with the word but uh, or, or yet, uh, something uh, uh, that creates conflict, and or replace it with the word um, therefore or so, uh, so that you have the conclusion. Basically, all the great stories with narrative attention that you're, you're put into a situation, there's a conflict that comes along very quickly, and the story is to get to some sort of resolution. Right. And, um, and so that trick, and I, I show, in fact, that, that, that using that simple trick is, uh, to some extent, what distinguishes Donald Trump from, let's say, Hillary Clinton as someone who can tell a compelling story and emotionally connect. And that's you know, that's sort of the second. Right. Thing. In the case of Trump, the story doesn't even have to be true. It just has to have that emotional juice and it grabs people. Well, and that's a key point. And I talk about, you know, there's a, there's, there's, uh, I, I go through a lot of the, the literature, the science, social science, marketing science, brain science, and studies of what goes viral. And it's very clear that the stuff that tends to go viral tends to hit a few key emotions, uh, which I discuss in the book. And of course, one of those is, is outrage mm-hmm. um, and anger, and, and Trump is exceedingly good at channeling and creating anger and outrage. And, you know, that uh, ability to tell an emotionally compelling story is, is, the, is the single most important ability if you want to be more persuasive, be more memorable, and, meet, and be more viral. And Donald Trump is not the one who invented this. I mean, this, this is being done right now by Viktor Orban in Hungary with all his talk about Jews and immigrants. It's being done by Erdogan in Turkey with his trashing the Kurds and, and, and other, other minority groups. It's being done by Duterte in the Philippines right now, uh, murdering uh, people who use drugs and, and uh, characterizing them as a, as a group of people, as a class. He's, he's killed over 10,000 people. It's being done in Russia by, by Putin talking about, I'm not sure if Putin himself, but the government, uh, you know, anti-gay and anti, uh, uh, what would you call it, dissident campaigns. Um, it's being done, I mean, you know, pick your country, right, where you've got 
something less than the full uh, uh, rule of law. Well, well, it's being done right here in the United States by Donald Trump, you know, uh, trashing anybody who's got more melanin in their, in their skin than you and I, whether it's immigrants from Mexico or whether it's African-Americans, uh, whatever it may be. But, but this is not new to Trump. This is, the, this is the old playbook of autocrats and wannabe dictators. Um, and unless you disagree with that statement, uh, my question is, how do you combat that? Well, uh, one thing I want to make clear, this, this, uh, uh, you can tell a truthful story that uh, that inspires people, and you know that. So the "I Have a Dream" speech by Martin Luther King, when you read Oprah and other speeches, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, um, or you can tell, uh, in other words, a, a story that unites people, or you can tell the kind of untrue divisive story that Trump tells, and, and I... Or even, I, a, even a true story. I mean, look at the whole Kate Steinel thing, you know, it, which is a name that everybody who watches Fox News or listens to right-wing hate radio immediately recognizes, and 90% of my audience has no idea who we're talking about. You know, this woman in San Francisco, I believe it was, uh, who was killed, it turns out, by accident, by a guy who was an, an illegal immigrant or an undocumented person in this country who had previously committed other crimes. And they have elevated her to sainthood. And so there was an element of truth to the story, and it went totally viral on the right. Yeah, well, look, I want to be clear that, that, you know, the left has a couple of disadvantages. You know, we, we uh, are stuck with telling the facts, the truth, and that's, that's a good thing about progressives because we're trying to achieve progress, and that has to be based on reality. Um, you know, obviously, if you can make up fake news, as uh, the right does, as the Russians did very, very successful in the election, and I talk about sort of how Trump and the Russians uh, and Cambridge Analytica, uh, you know, helped win an unwinnable election by, you know, viralizing uh, a phony content. And the Mercers and Bannon. Mercers and Bannon. Mercers uh, backed Funded the Trump, and before that they backed Cambridge Analytica, and they backed Bannon, and, and Bannon also was on uh, the board of Cambridge Analytica. The Cambridge Analytica, by the way, a big data company, which uses massive amounts of data analysis in real time to figure out what the optimum message is, and they're the ones who came up with uh, Drain the Swamp. And build um, a wall. Yes. And, and I, lock and, her up. Right. Well, and I, I think, and I talk about that in the book, because Drain the Swamp, for instance, is a metaphor, and metaphors are very powerful, uh, because they stick in your mind. They create a visual picture. Right. They're meta-stories. You know, to something you don't know. So I, you know, what I want to say to people is that... Um, I uh, don't want people to copy the 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 obviously the, the the dark side of virality, as I call it in the book, where you make up stories and and create phony outrage. What what people, however, need to understand is that the greatest uh, uh, progressives, uh, the greatest speech makers, you know. Uh, whether it's Churchill, you know, we will fight them on the beaches, we'll fight them on the landing, that sort of thing. They use the same exact techniques. So people shouldn't simply look at what Trump says and say, oh, he's an idiot who doesn't know how to do anything. He does know how to do a certain type of storytelling and branding, and there are things to be learned from him. So I try to explain what are the, you know, the, the, the really breakdown of five things that anybody can do if they want their content to have, you know, have a much better chance of, of going viral, of being what I call clicky and sticky. Clicky meaning it gets your attention, sticky meaning it stays in your memory. The new book is How to Go Viral and Reach Millions, released today by Joe Rom, Dr. Joe Rom, the uh, physicist, climate expert, senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, founding editor of Climate Progress, climateprogress.org. And of course, as I said, the book is How to Go Viral and Reach Millions. I wish you the very best with the book, Joe. Thanks so much, Tom. Thanks for being with us today, and thanks for writing this. It's an, it's an important book. Much appreciated. We'll be Appreciate back. Appreciate that, Tom. This is the Tom Hartman Program. We'll be back with more of the news of the day and your calls right after this. This uh, hour of our program brought to you by GetQuip, Q-U-I-P dot com slash Tom, the Quip electric toothbrush. And uh, Greg in Abington, Maryland. Maryland. Hey, Greg, what's up? Correct. Hey, Tom. So what's interesting about the Supreme Court case is that Christians or the evangelicals might be celebrating now. But if we look back into about 1980, when they first took to court the right for Bible studies to meet in public schools and won. Right. That's when they realized that 
they got their way, but that law applies to everybody. So now you've got GSAs or gay straight alliances trying to, you know, into schools, and suddenly the evangelicals are like, wait a minute. We didn't know that it would apply to them. Right. Well, you know who's doing because some of the best work on this? Us. You know who's doing some of the best work on this, Greg, is the Church of Satan, the Satanic right. Temple. I mean, they're out the there. Satanic Temple. Yeah, they're, they're out there saying, hey, if you're going to put up a, you know, a, a Ten Commandments on the State House, you, you need to put up a, a, you know, a monument to Behemoth or however you pronounce the, the, the Satanic God. Uh, you know, if you're going to teach, if you're going to preach religion in schools, you got to let us preach Satan in schools and stuff like that. I mean, they're doing, and, and of course they're doing it all tongue in cheek. I mean, they don't actually believe that there even right, is a right. Satan, but uh, boy, they're having an effect. Right, because they don't realize that the law applies to everybody. So yeah. they celebrate now like, oh, it's great. Gay, you know, bakers don't have to bake for gay people, but that's going to come back to haunt them. And then they're going to be like, wait a minute. Right. You know, this, and this is and, us. And, and it may well be that that's why the court basically punted on this. But you make a very, very good point. Greg, thank you for that. Kurt in uh, Beverly. Uh, yeah, Kurt in Beverly Hills, California. Hey, Kurt, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, how are you? Well, that's where my business is. But um, my residence is in the uh, northern part of uh, L.A., uh -huh. and which is encapsulated by the 23rd District. And I wanted to remind you that I am running for Congress against uh, the uh, incumbent, which is Kevin McCarthy. And uh, just real quick, I want to mention something about discrimination. As someone who's born African-American male, uh, now 51, who's known discrimination since I first started my first elementary school uh, 47 years ago, I know what discrimination looks like. And these cake bakers that are crying wolf is just a way to muddy the waters. It's called reverse discrimination. It's the old ploy. Try to act like, you know, their feelings are hurt or their rights are being infringed upon just to create right. a smoke screen. Yep, okay. I agree. Kurt, I got to run, but uh, real, real quick, what's your website? Kurt for Congress. 2018.com. K-U-R-T for Congress 2018. Thank you. Kurt, good luck, and thanks for the call. And thank you for being with us today. Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It does require you, me, everybody to get out there and get involved. Tag, you're it. I'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.